Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, the Supreme Court allows Trump's travel ban to take full effect and what that means, how the Republican tax plan could hurt higher ed, and an innovative Brooklyn theater turns 35. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford. Thanks for joining us today. Lots of crazy news going on. Travel bans in full effect, we'll talk about that. Trump shrinking national parks in Utah. What? Obama created a park? Let's shrink it. And did you see Patagonia's homepage? Yeah, I'm gonna give them some props. All right, I gotta calm my shit down. Like I said, we're gonna get into the travel ban and then the big tax plan and what it would do to higher ed. I know, fun stuff, but then we will have some fun from Irondale, a Brooklyn theater that's celebrating its 35th birthday. But first, a few things. On Tuesday, mayors from dozens of U.S. cities, including New York, signed a commitment to address climate change. Known as the Chicago Charter, it's a response to the Trump administration's pledge to pull the U.S. from the Paris Climate Treaty. Just so you know, we're the only country in the world not committed to the treaty's goals. Some news outlets got a look at the charter draft, and it includes a pledge to reduce carbon emissions 26 to 28 percent below the 2005 level by 2025. In the new year, we'll check in with the mayor's office to see how it plans to meet these commitments. For years, a city-owned patch of Brooklyn property slated for redevelopment has been under dispute. Oh, really? <laughs> I know, pick your city-owned patch of Brooklyn property. But the one I'm talking about today is the Brooklyn Broadway Triangle on the borders of East Williamsburg, Bushwick, and Bed-Stuy. But that dispute may be over, as the city has just settled a lawsuit that will finally allow development to move forward. Community groups had filed the lawsuit over alleged discrimination they said would have favored the Hasidic Jewish community over blacks and Latinos. The plan had called for a lot of bigger units that would have suited Hasidic families who often have a large number of children. The new development plan will provide double the units of affordable housing, and two-thirds of them will have only one or two bedrooms. Brooklyn has a new resident, and he's looking for love. He's a rare black-footed cat, Africa's smallest species of wild feline. He weighs three or four pounds. He's on display at the Prospect Park Zoo's nocturnal section. Right now he's single, but conservationists don't want him spending his nights alone. They plan to introduce a female soon as part of their species survival plan. We're so happy for him, and for you if you get to see him. We'll be back in a moment to speak with Albert Kahn of the Center for American-Islamic Relations to tell us about the Supreme Court's lifting of the injunctions against the president's travel ban. On Monday, the Supreme Court unleashed the Trump travel ban. Any injunctions in place were tossed while the lawsuits against the ban make their way through the courts. The decision hit home, as one of our own producers who had planned to go home to Iran for the holidays had to reconsider. She lives in Brooklyn, is awaiting her green card, is married to an American, and yet her lawyer still advised her not to travel. It's too risky in this climate, he said. Here to help us understand this climate change is the legal director for the Center for American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, Albert Kahn. Thanks for joining us on 112BK. Thank you so much for having me. Can you just explain very quickly what happened on Monday and why it was significant? Well, on Monday, the Supreme Court put a pause on a lower court order, which had just decided 
what do we do while this case is being litigated? Right. Whether or not the Muslim travel ban would still be in effect. Mm -hmm. The lower courts had said, we want this ban on hold until we decide if it's legal. But the Supreme Court reversed that. They said, while we're deciding this case, while we're litigating it, the ban is going to go back into effect. Mm -hmm. But let me be clear, they did not decide the merits of the ban. They did okay. not decide whether or not the ban itself is unconstitutional. Right. And we're calling it the travel ban here, but a lot of people have called it the Muslim ban. Do you think that's more accurate to call it the Muslim ban? I think the president's own tweets have proven that yeah. this is a Muslim ban. This is a president who hasn't been shy about showing that prejudice is propelling this policy mm -hmm. and that it is really a ban born out of bigotry. Right. And parts of this ban have already been being enforced, right? Like it's a little more complicated now maybe or maybe it's a little more stringent, but there were parts of it that were already being addressed in travel, right? That's correct. So when the ban first came out in September, there mm -hmm. were a number of groups, including Mind Care, which went to court to block it. We initially had two court orders, one of which blocked the ban completely mm -hmm. for the six Muslim-majority countries. Now, there are two other countries, North Korea and Venezuela, which are also li listed in the ban. But they're really just a distraction from the clear purpose here to target Muslim-majority countries. Right. That injunction, that block on the ban, was then pulled back a bit. The mm -hmm. upper court said, we're going to block the ban, but only for those with a bona fide relationship to the United States. Right. That meant close family here, it meant job offer here, it meant, so we had most people protected by that court order until right. the Supreme Court on Monday put a pause on that protection and said the ban can go fully into effect until the case is decided. So what does that mean for people who are traveling right now or who want to travel right now to or from these countries? You know, I was talking a little bit about our colleague who wants to visit her mother over the holidays and is being encouraged, I guess, not to do that because of the risk of her not being able to re-enter the United States. What, what does this mean for people in general who are in those binds? Well, this is having a huge impact on communities here in New York. I've spoken to multiple clients who are trying to reunite with their loved ones, spouses trying to bring their husbands and wives here from abroad, people right. who tried to get medical treatment for right. family members who were in war-torn regions, and the Supreme Court told them, you cannot bring your family here, and we honestly don't know how long that policy will be in existence for. Mm -hmm. What I should make clear is this ban is based off of citizenship. It doesn't matter where you travel to, it matters what passport you have. And we have mm -hmm. guidance on our website, care-ny.org, where we go country by country, give you the guidance on how this ban is affecting different types of Americans. One of the things you said before we even got on camera was that you haven't gotten much sleep and that you've been really busy. I'm guessing that's related to what happened on yeah. Monday. Can you talk to me about how CARE is involved in this and why you're involved in this? This is the core of what we do, standing up to protect the Muslim community in the face of intolerance and discrimination. You know, as soon as the ban came down, I worked with colleagues from around the country to put out guidance documents for travelers who might be affected to help people like your colleague who are concerned about how the ban impacted their ability to right. see loved ones, to put out media statements to respond and make it clear to the president that the American people are not giving up on this fight. 
right. that no matter how many times he tries to push through this bigoted band, we will stand up, we will make our voices loud and clear that we denounce this band. Wow. One thing that I want to make clear just really quickly is that you're actually not Muslim, you're Jewish, right? Yeah. So why is this so important to you? Because a lot of people think if you don't have that personal connection, what's it to you? What does it mean? Well, I mean, as a Jewish man, I've spent much of my life working with the Muslim community because I grew up in this city. Mm -hmm. And I saw how the Muslim community was targeted in the wake of 9-11. I saw prejudice that really rang a familiar chord that I had seen mm -hmm. growing up read about in history books. And then I saw that same sort of prejudice being projected onto a different community, and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't silent just because I could be safe. And so I want to make clear, I am not unusual. There are mm -hmm. so many New Yorkers who are Jewish and of every other faith who have stood up and stood with their Muslim neighbors yeah. throughout this crisis. Yeah. What is, what's next? What do you think we need to be focusing on next? What are you up to next? Well, we're continuing to work on our litigation strategy. Mm -hmm. Even though the Supreme Court decided this interim measure, mm -hmm. we still have the main cases to prep for. There are going to be arguments this week, both in the Fourth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit, and these cases are going to continue. Mm -hmm. It may take months. I doubt it will take years, but it may. And as long as it's necessary, we will fight in the courts. But we're also taking to the streets. Mm -hmm. On Wednesday, we have a rally where we're partnering with a number of leading groups to make sure that we send a visible message mm -hmm. to the president that this city is united against the ban. And there's going to be a campaign for as long as this ban continues to remind the American people of the everyday cost of having this bigotry enacted into law. Before we wrap up here, can you tell me two things? Where's this rally for mm -hmm. people who want to go? And also, I know that CARE is an organization that takes donations. How would people do that as well? I really appreciate that. We're a small NGO, and right now we're trying to get the resources to hire more immigration attorneys, to expand our facilities, and make sure we have the resources to respond to the ban. Mm -hmm. So our website, CARE, C-A-I-R-N-Y.org, mm -hmm. slash donate. People can donate there, it's tax deductible, and those dollars go to work fighting the Trump administration and fighting the ban. As for the rally that's happening in Washington Square, there will also be a march afterwards, and that's mm -hmm. on Wednesday. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here, Albert. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Up next, an economics reporter helps us understand the GOP tax bill's apparent assault on higher ed. Looks like the holidays are coming early for Donald Trump and the GOP. The Republicans are jamming their new tax plan through Congress. They can see that Oval Office signing ceremony dancing like sugar plums in their heads. Put together tax plan and Republicans in your head. For some, that may seem more like Halloween than Christmas. One of the many areas that will be affected by the bill is higher education. Universities, research scholars, doctoral students, work study, etc. Here to tell us about the potential impact is Katie Labosco, a reporter at CNN Money. Thank you so much for joining us on 112BK, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yes, okay. So first of all, Katie, is this gonna be a good bill for higher education or not? 
there's a lot in the House bill, particularly, that mm -hmm. would affect higher education. They've kind of lumped all these credits and uh, deductions for people with student loans, for mm -hmm. people who get tuition waivers, and the House bill completely eliminates them. Right. Now, those aren't included in the Senate, and we still have the two different bills right now, mm -hmm. but they have to be reconciled, and we don't know what's going to be in the final bill yet. Speaking of the House bill, why is Congress taking an aim at higher ed? Because it does seem particularly petty. <laughs> well, so I think there might be two reasons. Right. So it's uh, billed as a tax cut, and they need to pay for the tax cuts they're giving mm -hmm. people and they're giving corporations. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to education, uh, they basically, you know, what I've read the Republicans in the House have said, there's so many education-related tax breaks, they've called mm -hmm. them confusing and that people don't even know what they're, what they're due. Right. Which I think when you take a look at the effect on grad students, they definitely know how it affects them. Yeah. So tuition waivers, because that's the word that keeps coming up. And I think a lot of people didn't even know that there were tuition waivers for people in PhD programs. But can you explain what the tuition waivers are and how they'll be affected by this tax bill? Sure. So yeah, I wasn't aware of how the tuition waivers worked either until yeah, a few either. weeks ago. <laughs> Graduate students, and there's about 145,000 thousand of them that get tuition waivers mm -hmm. um, and what it does it, it's kind of like a scholarship but it's different especially it's different when treated by the tax code right so the tuition waiver about 60% of these people they're studying stem fields they're studying science technology engineering math and so the colleges basically they charge them tuition and then they immediately waive it right. um, and there is a stipulation in the tax code that they have to be teaching or doing research for the university mm -hmm. and if they are then that tuition waiver is tax-free they don't have to pay taxes on the amount of the tuition so they work just like scholarships scholarships are not taxable for undergraduates these are a little bit different for masters and PhD students when the tuition waivers come up now that we know how they work how will the tax plan specifically affect the tuition waivers? What are these students worried about? Is it that they'll have to pay more taxes when they aren't really making money because they're full-time students? Or is it something else? They'll definitely have to pay more in taxes. Mm -hmm. So what it does is, say you go to a school and tuition is about $30,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So that's now going to raise your taxable income by $30,000. So wow. okay. that's, a, that's a big difference. That could be another four or $5,000 in taxes. And you're talking about students that are already living on a modest stipend. Maybe mm -hmm. they get twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year because they're doing research or teaching at the university. Mm -hmm. And so if you take about $5,000 away from them, it's going to be a really big impact. Absolutely. And earlier you were talking about scholarship. I read an article saying that, you know, maybe the answer to this is that these colleges and universities turn these tuition waivers into scholarships instead. But scholarships don't necessarily have the mandate that they be working for the university or doing research for the university. Do you think there's a chance colleges might do that anyway or use that to help these students? I think there's a possibility. We haven't heard any colleges come out and say that they'll be able to do this yet. Most college groups are really advocating against this bill. They say it would be really detrimental to research in the United States, research at colleges and universities. But I did talk to some grad students at NYU. They are hopeful that maybe there's a loophole when, if this goes through, that there's a loophole that the college would still be able to maintain their bottom line. Right. NYU students have a petition actually, and what they're asking for is for the administration to 
guarantee that their bottom line won't be impacted, that they'll end up with the same take-home pay. Right. And maybe that's increasing their stipend, maybe it's turning the tuition waiver into a scholarship. They don't know what that would be, but they're hoping the administration can make that guarantee. Do you think that this issue is going to end up in the consolidated bill, like in the final bill? I don't know. I think yeah. that's anybody's guess right now. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen any Republicans, again, they, they only need Republicans, the Republican vote on this. They don't mm -hmm. need Democrats to vote for it. And I haven't heard any Republicans talk out against this part of the House bill. Right. But it, again, it's not included in the Senate version. So mm -hmm. I think it's anybody's guess. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Katie. We really appreciate you. Thanks so much. Next up. The two co-founders of Irondale Ensemble Project tell us what it's taken to reach their 35th anniversary. And they'll do a live reading here in the studio, so don't go anywhere. Live music performances, spoken word poetry, art houses, what can't you find in Brooklyn? You can even find performance think tanks, specifically one at the theater company, Irondale, which takes its audiences on a journey through history to myth and discipline to improvisation. Irondale is celebrating its 35th anniversary, and today we have on the show co-founders Terry Grice, thanks for being on the show, and Jim Meeson. Great to have you here to talk about Irondale. Yeah, thanks. Can we just start because I know we're going to do a little piece in celebration mm -hmm. of the theater. Can you tell me what this piece is and why we're reading it? Yeah. Um, my mandate uh, today was to sh give you a s tiny sample of what we call a table reading, mm -hmm. which varies from place to place, but it's the first time that actors look at the text. Mm -hmm. And this is a play called Galileo, which was uh, written originally in 1938 and then rewritten extensively over and over again all the way up until the mid-50s. Mm -hmm. And it's a play, something we always say is, uh, whatever play you do, it has to be about right now. Yeah. And so that's why this play, I think, is so important. And I'm going to give you a copy of the text. This is kind okay. of the, the thesis moment in the play. And I'm Andrea. You're Andrea, okay. who is the former student of Galileo, mm -hmm. who has, uh, well, I won't give much more than that, because okay. I think, but you're, you've, you've had a falling out, and you want to know why he betrayed knowledge. Okay, That sounds very thinky, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm ready for my spotlight. Okay. I'm ready, too. Okay. So I'll be reading the part of Andrea, and Terry, you'll be reading Galileo? Yep. So why did you recant? I recanted because I was afraid of physical pain. No. They showed me the instruments. So there was no plan? None. Science knows only one commandment. Serve science. Which I've done. Welcome to the gutter, brother in science and cousin in treachery. What is the purpose of your work, Andrea? Surely the purpose of science is to ease human hardship. The movements of the stars have become clearer, but the people still don't understand the movements of their masters. If scientists follow the order of those in power, if they store up knowledge for the sake of storing it up, then science will be crippled by your new machines, and they'll bring no new forms of oppression. As a scientist, I was presented with a unique opportunity. Astronomy had reached the marketplace. 
One man standing strong could have shaken the world. If I'd held out, scientists might have made a promise, uh, an oath, to use their knowledge solely for the good of humanity. Now all we've got is a race of inventing pygmies who can be sold to the highest bidder. Thank you. Yes. Thank and you. I, <laughs> you can see how that play speaks to a lot of things that are going on right now. Yeah. One of the things I would have said if, you know, in a longer segment, because you don't want to overload actors before a table read with too much, mm -hmm. but just to say this play is addressing something I think is so crucial right now, which is the conflict between blind beliefs mm -hmm. and knowledge. So can I ask you really quickly, obviously yeah. you want the play to be relevant to the yeah. times before yeah. you produce it. Right. What else goes into your selection process for deciding what you're going to produce? You want to talk? Yeah, I, I think the moment in time thing is, is paramount. Mm -hmm. And then we are an ensemble. So we are actors who work together on a continuing basis. So there's something about what does the company want to say mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. now and what fits the company. It's almost like you, you've got a baseball team and you know who's going to play home, you know who's going to play third base, you know who's going to be first base. Mm -hmm. And it, the play has to meet the company somewhat. And this play really does that. Yeah. The people who are in our stable, I guess mm -hmm. you'd say, will do this play fabulously well. And I think there's also, you have to have maybe five or six plays that you're thinking about, mm -hmm. and then the time comes up, and you say, we have the actors, mm -hmm. and it's the right time to do it. But yeah. you have to keep working in all these other plays, so if you said, can you do something else, I thought, right, right here in my pocket, I have this other I've one. I've got it. Yeah. So, 35 years, yeah. and a celebration. What can people look forward to during this celebration? It's going to be a great year. Yeah. Right now, we've got Brooklyn Ballet rehearsing in the space. They're wow. going to open the Nutcracker next week. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a ballet. Oh, oh well, come so. and see this one. This <laughs> should, should be a great see. place yeah. to see yeah. it. Yeah. Because yeah. the space is fabulous. It's big and it's epic and it's also intimate at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you really feel you're close to the performers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they're using the space beautifully. We've got two solo performances by women in January. Vicki mm -hmm. Tanner and Lee Harrington, each doing solo pieces. We do this project with the NYPD where police and community members create a performance together. That will wow. be in February. And then we've got Galileo in the early spring. Yeah. I can't wait to see yeah. it. I can't, can't, can't wait to see yeah. it. I'm going to be checking you guys yeah. out. Thank Good. you so much for being here. I appreciate your time, and I definitely appreciate that read. Thank so you. I hope more people come and check out I Am Dale. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank you. It's great Thank to be here. Tomorrow, more on the tax plan and how it will impact New Yorkers. We'll also learn about how one organization is helping to get sex ed into our local schools. Plus, a look at a film that deals with HIV in the African-American community. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer, and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Hagasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801.
And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.